0: Good evening, and welcome to The Midnight Owl. The Midnight Owl is a proud member of the Not After 30 podcast network. I am your host, Tim. The Midnight Owl is your companion to late nights and too much coffee. This week, I want to share with you what I learned about an omen of death. The Black Dog. I don't like standing near the edge of a platform when an express train is passing through. I like to stand back and, if possible, get a pillar between me and the train. I don't like to stand at the side of a ship and look down into the water. A second's action would end everything. A few drops of desperation. And yet, I don't want to go out of the world at all in such moments. Winston Churchill. One of the true joys of my life is going for a walk with my dog, my constant and stalwart companion. My dog and co host Obi and I started going for these wanders when he was just a puppy. The main reason I got a dog was so that I would feel obligated to get up and leave the house a few times a day for a walk. Years later, we still go on our many adventures. Going for a walk is my favorite form of exercise. Having a dog makes you seem less disreputable, wandering around in the middle of the night, stoned out of your tree. I'm not a lone specter in the dark of night haunting the sidewalks. I'm a responsible dog owner braving the elements for the well-being of my pet. Obi and I have aimlessly walked around various cities and towns across two provinces. If I ever have money, I'd like to see how many more cities we can get to. This is a dream for me because it would be cool to see the older buildings and winding streets of Canada, seeing firsthand the birthplace of our occult legends. For Obi, it would be to pee on things he has yet to pee on. You honestly could do worse than having a fly-by-night guru like Obi. I struggle with purpose. Often I'm left asking myself, what's my place in this big scary world? Any lesson about life and happiness has been from my dog. A happy life is understanding what you want to get out of it. Humans complicate their answers, they add qualifiers, or shift the scale of what success means every time they have an achievement. Every goal is forgotten, every failure mounted on the wall is an example of why you should never try anything. You're just going to mess it up anyways. Obi's life goals are simple. Go out, pee on things, and chase a ball. I don't think that makes him an idiot. He's just found his path. The fall is the perfect time for our quests, especially when I'm on night shifts. After midnight, there is a fresh crispness in the air, and the stars are out. I heard once, the village I live in is the point between Ottawa and Toronto, where the planes change from one air traffic controller to the other. So there is always an abundance of lights in the sky. Way up. Silent. And meandering. Just like me. Perfect place for a UFO to blend in. But that's another sideways thought for a different intro. In the fall, the feeling of change is in the air, and the streets are ours. I never understood the implication that falls about death. Maybe that's just the maple syrup in my veins. As a Canadian, we celebrate the winter. If only as a common ground to complain about to one another. Oh yeah, bud. Well, you know what they say. We have two seasons in Canada. Winter and construction. (laughs) Oh my god, I hate that. I put my headphones in and we just go. No real direction or plan. I start up a pod and begin to walk. After 6pm, the stores are all closed and most people are asleep by 10. So it feels like this town is... Comatose, is asleep, is waiting for everybody to wake back up so it can become alive again. When Obi and I are walking, it's a respite from my neurotic tendencies. I am not worried about what I'm doing with my life, if I've made good or bad decisions, whether or not I'm liked. Have I failed the people around me? What's next? Where do I go? What do I do? What is the thing that will finally make me happy? Can I leave a mark on this world, however small, that will give me a legacy, or am I doomed to utter insignificance, and is any desire to fight that the epitome of self-delusion and ego? Why have I self-sabotaged yet another good thing? Those thoughts drift as I hit the gravel of the driveway. A single step off the porch and I am free. It's nothing but me, Obi, and the podcast. Every night the walk is good, but there are magical nights hidden within the mundane ones. Those magic nights are when the show slowly fades as we walk and I drift into another place where I come up with a cool line for the podcast, or put together a weird connection between a monster or belief that I think is half-assed unique. Other times I'm making up stories and characters. I struggle with writing, but me and Obi slinking across sidewalks is where I can take a hero on a journey across the vast expanse of space and worlds beyond ours. I must be an insane sight to behold as I bounce my head to a thought I am overly proud of. Stopping to pick up dog poop by the light of a cell phone grinning like a dork. On our walks, I don't care. I rarely raise my head on these late night adventures. I've walked these streets since I was a kid. I know where I'm going by the curbs and lawns I see out of the corner of my eyes. As I was reading about black dogs I thought about some of the routes I avoid. Was it a conscious thing? It it wasn't or at least it wasn't until this episode. There's just places I get a bad vibe from. It's not always bad energy, it's just that you feel like you're being noticed. I can't explain it well to you, but it's like this. When you're out in the dark, even though you're under the streetlights, there are empty paths and public places that in the light of day are frequented by people. At night, they don't always feel as empty as they look. Something in there is looking back, and the last thing you want to be is noticed. Because after being noticed... Comes a feeling of being watched. That not empty place starts to follow you. I wonder if it's an echo of the animal in us. There could be a threat there. Don't think. Don't complicate it. Threat, threat, threat. Curiosity killed the cat. Doesn't matter what the threat is, it's there. Go around. Sometimes, when I look at the curb or lawn and cue myself out of whatever story or lines I was putting together and I realize where I am, it can be disquieting. What brought me here? Why did I go one more street up than usual or take a right instead of the left? Why am I in a not empty place? Was I drawn here? By what? At those times, I have been nervous enough that I've found my hand slide into my pocket, pause the show I was listening to, just so I can listen for footfalls. When you want to go unnoticed, it's important to keep moving, keeping one foot in front of the other. I wrap my hand around my lighter making a fist, a poor man's substitute to brass knuckles. But when the shadows around become more than just the places the light forgets to shine, It's better than nothing. This feeling of being watched will raise the hair on the back of your neck, make goosebumps raise across your flesh. Your awareness of noise and the objects around you become amplified as your heart starts beating louder and louder. It's worse when you're a little baked because some things are a little harder to dismiss. This is where I think the black dog came from. This uncertain feeling of being hunted by something we can't or don't want to understand. Black dogs are the eyes that shouldn't be there, but are. Black dogs have been spotted the world over. My research says they're mostly British phenomenon. There are more than a few variations on a similar theme. For this episode, I wanted to focus on the Death Omen, Wild Hunt, and Kusith. By far the most common association in folklore for a black dog is that they're referred to as an omen of death. A black dog appears usually as a large, shaggy dog with black fur. From there, it depends which region you're in, how the dog acts, or what specifically it looks like. The local legends usually describe it as having large, red, glowing eyes, or a single eye in the middle of its face like a cyclops. When I was writing this ep, I took a trip to Ottawa and spotted some graffiti that to me looked like the Cyclops black dog I read about. I'll post a photo on the Instagram account. You tell me if I'm crazy. A common occurrence is that the dog is completely silent and can move as if it's smoke, with no noise from its paws, no breath. In some legends, you'll hear the phantom sounds of chains clinking. The black dog appears at night. The ragged appearance, red eyes, and association with death makes the connection with Satan easy. Some lore considers it a hellhound, or at least at the beck and call of the devil. Some black dogs can appear, haunt its victim, then disappear like smoke into an object or the ground. This sinister being is no companion on a dark road for a weary soul. If you look at the black dog after hearing its terrible howl, You will die within a week. Or so they say. Dogs early in the history of Britain were viewed to be scavengers. I think that seeing a black dog as a hellhound or demonic force is a fairly reasonable response to the nature of dogs. In my mind, if you see a pack of hungry dogs going after a deer carcass, or sniffing around cemeteries because the bodies are not buried deep enough, it's harder to fit dogs into the man's best friend narrative. We want to believe humanity is the good guys, and picking at the scraps of tragedy is something the bad guys do. So in a senseless world filled with death, the dogs are perceived to be evil-aligned, like vultures for most cultures. Even though, by nature, we are omnivores and do our fair share of killing, we still like to dress it up as something noble. Now it's either that, or... Propaganda spread by cat people to discredit our canine companions. Obi, what do you think? He agrees. Sightings of the black dog usually occur on roads, footpaths, bridges, doors, stairs, and hallways. These are places that people are transitioning from one location to another. This is very much a traveler's demon. As with the association with death, black dogs are seen in graveyards. Mixing metaphors, so to speak, people imply that black dogs must be there to haunt spirit paths. What if the black dog is an omen of death because it does haunt the spirit paths? Maybe as a guardian or guide or some kind of malevolent spirit. Either way, that's not the point, but it's a a spectral being on these paths... Therefore, it's not there to kill a human being. But when a human being is close to death, the veil between the world of the living and the world of the dead are thin enough that the dog can smell and see you. While you have one foot in its world, you can see it. Did you know dogs can smell cancer? This tale concerns the haunting of the former Newgate Prison of London. The story dates back to 1596, over 400 years ago, and the account is credited to a prisoner, Luke Hutton. A terrible famine had gripped the land. During these dreadful times, charity was in short supply, and distrust of your neighbors was abundant. A scholar was suspected of being a warlock and sent to Newgate Prison... This was done so that he could no longer harm the king's subjects with his charms and devilish witchcraft. The people were scared and needed someone to blame. The once academic young man, now prisoner, was weak from lack of food when he entered the penitentiary. Unfortunately for him, the other prisoners were not. The prisoners had already resorted to cannibalism. Huh. A cold person might see this as a means to reduce the prison population and save on the grocery bill. Please no one tell the politicians. The scholar did not last long. I wonder if the prisoners understood what powers they trifled with. It was not long after this terrible act of self-preservation did the prisoners of Newgate begin to see a ghastly specter. A monstrous black dog would pace up and down the prison. They knew without question this was the scholar, the weak man, the bookworm who was accused of sorcery by his frightened, paranoid neighbors. The man that the prisoners had killed in Eden had returned to revenge himself upon them. The prisoners began to die. Some were torn apart in their cells. Some, hearing the panting from outside the cell, would simply die of fright. Anyone that had consumed the flesh of the man, one by one, would die. The last of the survivors living in their cages of Newgate were reminded each night of their sins and their guilt as the Black Dog retaliated. They were driven mad with fear for the monster that hunted them. Up against the wall, with no other option, they killed their guards and broke out. They separated, trying to hide wherever they could. They were pursued. They were killed. One by one. Not one of them could outrun their crimes. Vengeance for the nerd. Until the prison was torn down, the black dog was said to be a death omen for anyone condemned to die. On the eve of a condemned man's execution, they would always see the black dog. At the end of the account, which is recorded as a conversation in a pub, Luke Hutton suggests the story heard might just be a metaphor. In the condemned man's cell was a large black stone, which desperate inmates would bash their heads against until death. Black dogs are frightening. But it's nothing to lose your head about. If you find yourself in London, you can still go to the grounds Newgate Prison was located on, An alleyway connecting the court is still there. It's been renamed Amen Court, a far gentler name than the previous one, Dead Man's Walk. Should you find yourself there, take a look around and breathe deeply. They say that the black dog remains. You will know it's there if you smell a noxious odor of death and decay. Or if you see a shadow dance across a wall. It shouldn't be. Truckers tell stories in diners and rest stops of various paranormal experiences they have gone through. Trucker Urban Legends I only know this because in their forums they're starting to share online some of their stories. Truckers say that when you're out on the road and you're too tired, a black dog appears as the driver starts to fall asleep. The black dog is an omen of a fatal crash if you don't heed its warning. Your end is near. I haven't found an answer for this. Maybe it's another chicken and the egg question. What came first, the movie or the urban legend? But there is a movie called Black Dog starring Patrick Swayze, Meat Loaf, and Randy Travis. I have not seen this cinematic masterpiece, but it is definitely on my watch list now. One of the earliest recorded stories I found was on August 4th, 1577. In the town of Bungay, Suffolk. The townsfolk were at the church when a massive and terrible storm enveloped it. Rain came down with a great force. Thunder and lightning crashed down around the church. The church went pitch black to the point that a person couldn't even see the parishioner beside them until a lightning strike came down. That's when the black dog appeared. This black dog would come to be known as Black Shuck. Black shock ran down the aisle, stopping only to break the neck of a man and a boy. As it left the church, the steeple fell. If you question this story, I warn you that the scorch marks on the doors can still be seen today. The very same day, a black dog appeared at the church of Blithberg. This black dog appeared in the beams, swung down to the main level, and blasted the assembly with fire killing two men and a boy, burning the hand of another, before it flew out of the church. Just like black cats, black dogs were considered to be a witch's familiar. With a blatant attack on the church and the men of these towns, making wild assumptions I hope are not offensive, I wonder if a local coven wished to express its displeasure, the torture, burning, and drowning of its sisters. an a cult, Hey, fuck off, bud. If you will. Wild Hunt. The Wild Hunt variation comes from the Welsh mythology of the Black Dog. The Hounds of Anwen. This is where deities would cross over from the Otherworld. Otherworld was where food was abundant, youth was endless, and disease was absent. This was the domain of deities and the dead. The King Arwin of Anwin presided over the hunt. If you heard the howls of the dogs it was seen as a warning of death. Arwin would hunt down wayward souls and return them to the other world. On one of my walks I was pondering the perspective of King Arwen. His home is the land of light and health, crossing over to our bleak existence of death, disease, war, and a long list of atrocities. How annoyed do you think he would be to go to work every day? His job was to cross over, find the wayward souls that turn their back on the light in the first place, then have to chase them down and drag them back for eternity. Humanity is so uncomfortable with a good thing, they would rather stay with the dreary world they know. Yeah, okay, so I'll be with my ancestors and everyone I loved, and I will never struggle for peace or a meal if I go with you. But what's the catch? There's always a catch. King Arwen is a god stuck in a perpetual loop of wrangling souls like an episode of Cops when they have to bust up a party with a bunch of drunken teens. Bruh, I know my rights cause I took high school law and like, you totally can't drag me from one plane to another until I speak with my spiritual advisor. Poor King Arwen. Doing the Midnight Owl is me how cool it is to see the evolution of folklore. It's hard to truly understand how distant things were in ancient times. Even 200 years ago, before air travel and phones, information and legends would travel the world, albeit slowly. It's incredible the influence ideas can have. Some are written and shared openly, while others were only ever carried on whispers. Among my reading, it was suggested that this might be a blending of Viking traditions. The god Odin had two black hunting hounds, Giri, and Freka. Their names mean ravenous or a greedy one. It's possible that as the Vikings began their pillage of the British Isles, they brought with them their god's ghostly dogs. Black dogs have many, many names, some of which I will list later. Black shuck or shuck is one of the most prevalent. Shuck's etymology comes from the word sucka, meaning demon. I wonder how far back the black dog connection stretches. How many beliefs were influenced by man's best friend? In ancient Egypt, Anubis was the god of death. A protector of cemeteries and tombs, Anubis had the body of a man and the head of a jackal. Anubis was chosen because jackals were scavengers, which uncovered the human bodies and ate their flesh. Therefore, there was a strong association between jackals and cemeteries. Symbolism in the Egyptian belief was that you would fight like with like, A jackal was chosen to protect the dead because jackals were digging up and destroying the bodies. Anubis' role changed his belief evolved to being a guide to Osiris, the lord of the afterlife. So again, we see these dogs being part of the spirit path. So, on the other end of the spectrum, from a malevolent spirit hunting the near-dead, there is the protector version of the black dogs. One popular class of the protector is the church grim. A church grim protects Christian churches and churchyards against thieves, vandals, witches, warlocks, overall, anyone that would want to perform any kind of sacrilege on church grounds. It seems weird to me that ritualistic animal sacrifices would be associated with a place of worship, but various spots online, so take it with a grain of salt, suggested that a foundation sacrifice was not uncommon during construction. They would bury a dog alive under the cornerstone of a church, so its spirit was meant to protect the building, its occupants, and in a sense, imbue it with good luck. It would be horrific to write an episode and go back and talk about every dog that has been named Lucky and all the terrible crap that has befallen any canine with that name. Other folklore says that when a cemetery was opened, the first soul interred would be there to protect it against anything from the devil to evil spirits. To avoid this fate befalling a human being, they would bury a dog in the north part of the cemetery to take its place. When the church bell tolls at midnight, it was whispered that it was the church grim predicting a death in the village. When the clergyman that was presiding over the funeral looked into the tower, depending on the appearance of the black dog, They could tell whether or not the soul was destined for heaven or hell. How many teenagers in these times would be bored of their skulls, get drunk, and feel the need to cause some innocent trouble? Maybe you go cow tipping. Maybe you run up the bell tower at midnight and ring it a few times and scare the old folk just for the reaction the next day. There is a similar folk tale where a dog was sacrificed in place of a human being. But this time, instead of a church, it's a bridge. No matter how many times the people of Yorkshire attempted to build a bridge that would withstand the seasonal floods, the bridge would fall. The devil appeared and promised that he could build one, that no matter what weather was thrown at it, the bridge would not fail. There was only one condition. The first living creature to cross it would serve as a sacrifice and its soul be forfeit. The people agreed and the bridge was built. There was much debate to who would have to cross. Upon completion, a shepherd swam across the river and called to his dog, Grim. Grim crossed the bridge. Grim was a good boy. His owner, however, was a dick. In Somerset, the Girt Dog, the Great Dog, was a protector of the land. It would accompany lone travelers in the area acting as a protector and guide. Mothers would allow their kids to play outside unsupervised because the Girt Dog was there to make sure they were safe. There are many stories of a protector black dog, um, usually a traveler being accompanied by a large shaggy dog for a time. When they arrive at their destination, it disappears. The story usually ends by a priest taking a confession from two bandits that would have murdered the traveler had it not been for an intimidating dog. The Ghost Story Guys, an amazing podcast, had a great episode The Black Dog Laughs at Midnight. One of my favorite stories they shared was a, a woman in California was walking down the street and a dog appeared to her and accompanied her as she was walking home. It was silent and friendly. And when she came up to an intersection, a carload of guys rolled up and started yelling, hooting, and hollering at her. When they began to get out of her vehicle, the black dog snarled and snapped. They took off, and the dog remained with her all the way home. When she awoke the next day, the dog was gone. In Scottish folklore, there's the Coo Sith. Uh... I have to mention this because it has the name Sith in the name, and the Star Wars connection was too good. Um, the Kusith is a part of the Fey world, and I am 99% positive I'm mispronouncing this. So if you know the proper pronunciation, email me at the Bearded and Board email. Um, anyways, the Kusith is part of the Fey world, the fairy world. Its fur is shaggy and green, and it's so large that it's compared to the size of a bull. Its eyes were large and had a fiery glow. A has a curled tail that is often depicted as braided. Their main role is that of the Guardian of the Fairy Mounds. These mounds are portals to the fey world, and they would protect them from anyone trying to trespass. When not on duty at the Fairy Mounds... They would hunt in and amongst the highlands. The kusith was considered uh, an omen of death as well as a protector. While it was hunting, a kusith was completely silent except when it barks. When it barks, it barks three times. This bark would travel across the land and even out into the ocean. By the time you heard the third bark, if you were not in a place of safety, you would die of sheer terror. Being a Kusith was a full-time job. Not only were they responsible for guarding the fairy mounds, they would also find and guide the souls of the dead to the fairy world through the mounds. This is a weird mixing of mythologies with King Arwen and black dogs that haunt the traveler's path. I wonder which was first and what influencer inspired the other. When the barks were heard, the men of the highlands would lock up their women who were nursing babies. This was to prevent the Kusith from kidnapping them. The Kusith would take them to the fairy world where they would be made to give up their milk to feed the children of the Dianine Sith, or the fairies. Another awesome connection I kind of saw because of the Kusith legend was uh, someone had come up with a story idea that Corgis were gifted to humanity by the fairies. The fairies would use them as their loyal steeds to ride into battle, pull carts, and herd cattle. When they were bored, the fairies would ride them into town to cause mischief. It would make sense that our loyal co-host in the owl's nest is descended from fairy stock. But that's just me. I open this episode with a Winston Churchill quote. When Churchill was a kid, his nannies referred to his dark moods as a black dog. Looking back on his life, people tried to assign possible mental health uh, diagnosis to some of his writings and actions. Judging by the quote, I might agree, but I'm no expert. Here's another where he's talking about therapy. I think that this man might be useful to me, if my black dog returns. He seems quite away from me now. It's such a relief. All the colors come back into the picture. The Black Dog Institute is a not-for-profit organization that researches the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of mood disorders, like depression. On their website, they describe their symbol as a peace sign casting a shadow puppet of a black dog. It's a metaphor for a disorder that is constantly lurking in the background. It acknowledges that depression can indeed shadow the sufferer, even when their mood is upbeat and victorious. However, the logo ultimately carries the suggestion that the positive is more powerful than the negative. If you think that you need help, you can go to the Black Dog Institute website and you can take a questionnaire. They don't guarantee the results, but you can start a dialogue with yourself if you're having a difficult time and you might need a little help to get on track. I did a questionnaire and the results were as suspected. For the last few years, I've carried around with me a black dog. I always referred to it as rain clouds. No matter how good the day was or who I was with, I was always worried about the rain clouds coming out and ruining it. I feel really guilty about my black dog. I'm always apologizing for it, because when you're enjoying other people's company, they can feel hurt when the black dog shows up. It's not their fault, and it's hard to explain that. I make plans and life decisions based on its presence or suspected reappearance. No matter where I go, I need to know that I have a way out for when it inevitably shows back up. Even when I'm on a manic high, I know it's for a limited time, so I can't even enjoy the impulse buys on Amazon that I can't afford. Amazon has profited greatly from my black dog. It's a painful feeling trying to hide your black dog from those that love you. There's a sense of helplessness that you will never get rid of your black dog. So sharing, so sharing that for the first, the tenth, or the hundredth time, all it's going to amount to is making those around you sad because they can't fix it. It's funny how much of a circle you can get yourself in um, talking about the black dog. It's kind of like a dog chasing its tail, but um. I don't want to be sad or bring down the fun of the party or embarrass myself. So much so, when you show up, you have so much anxiety that you can't bring yourself to engage with anyone. You wish quietly to yourself that you didn't show up or that anyone there doesn't want you there. When you fear that people don't like you but know their quality, it hurts. Because they aren't thinking that, and assigning a negative thought to them is unfair and insulting. Which only makes you feel more guilt and anxiety. I wish for the day that my black dog is at least muzzled for the night, so I can get some sleep. I won't have the reoccurring thoughts of anxiety for shit that does not matter. That's where the alcoholics at their meetings have it right. You must accept the things you cannot change. My black dog's name is Depression. Luckily, I have so much to be looking forward to. I have people that love me, and a corgi named Obi. A steed of the fairy to walk with me into battle against this black dog. If you're struggling, there are people that want to listen to you. If it's not family and friends, there are reputable online sources. In Canada, I might suggest the Bell Let's Talk program, but I'm sure you'll find the right resource for you. I wish you luck. You are not alone. Another thing that I failed to uncover during the prep work for this episode is why there are so many pubs and restaurants named The Black Dog. One story I read suggests that in Dorset, there was a farmhouse that was haunted by a black dog. It laid around and never caused any harm. The farmer got wasted one night and in a drunken rage attacked the dog with an iron fire poker. Running through the house, the ghost dog and the drunk farmer made their way to the attic, where the dog jumped through the ceiling. Frustrated, the drunk farmer struck out at the spot the dog had vanished. Part of the ceiling gave way, revealing someone's hidden treasure of gold and silver. The man used this windfall to build an inn. He named it the Black Dog. The black dog was seen from time to time in the area, but never went inside the house. I don't know the moral of this story. Um, Animal abuse can be profitable? No one share this story with Michael Vick. Uh, Please God. My ideas vary from this legend, uh, and forgive my dark sense of humor because I think it's ridiculously funny. Maybe like how the symbolism of a black dog has changed from a death omen to a sign of depression, some old-time pub owners deciding to name a bar the Black Dog was a nod at alcoholism. The way that drinking can get under a person's skin. The drink will chase and hunt them down to the ends of the earth for years and years until they are consumed by it. I wonder if at meetings where they're talking about once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, does anyone hear a howl in the distance, a scratch at the door? Maybe that's just me. It feels absolutely amazing to be back, folks. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of season two. Did I get anything wrong? Did I miss a crucial detail? message me on the episode announcement post on instagram or email me at beardedandboard at gmail.com if you haven't checked it out already go over to the not after 30 podcast network feed while you are there you can hear my appearances on a few episodes i got to do in the uh, time we were off it was a ton of fun and i'm really happy with how they turned out it's definitely something i'm unfamiliar with but i look forward to doing again um thank you listeners And don't forget to owl at the moon. Hoot hoot. I may have told this story before, but this is my show and my memory is shot, so prepare to suffer. I've had several periods that I could refer to as my golden era. Hanging out in high school with a group of close buddies that got together to adventure and hang out in various basements, watching South Park, drinking too much, and doing everything and anything we could to make each other laugh. The year after college, living with one of my best friends, again watching South Park smoking weed, working, and partying when we could afford it. The third and not final golden era was Manitoba. I needed to leave Manitoba because I wasn't moving forward my life. And for a while, I hated it. But right now, on a manic high, I look back with jealousy of the amazing adventure that it was. We had a group of transplants that came together to enjoy our 20s in a remarkable fashion. Ben, Angela, Liz, Jack, and Cobra. I'm so very grateful for those times. There are many stories I could tell about that epic era. Baseball, the Legion, crashing my motorcycle... But this time, I'm going to hold you hostage with the time we saved Orville's life. Talking about side streets and watching for the unknown in the opening reminds me of years ago when I was back in Manitoba. I'd spent enough time in cities and always had the wanderer's spirit, but I learned quickly where to avoid if you were out past ten. You listen. You watch alleys. If someone calls you over to anywhere out of the light, you didn't hear them keep walking, especially if they're drunk. Some drunk people just love to spar. Ben, Jack, and I got together once a week, sat down with a case, and played whatever the newest NHL game was out. Sorry, Chell. I need to get these guys on because I don't remember the exact details, so until then, my version will hold as the truth. We were playing in my apartment one night. Obviously, I was winning and they were losing. It was a typical winter's night, and uh, it was around minus 40 degrees, and I had gone outside for a dart. The best part of living in the West is that every small-town bar has their own vendor, so you could walk up and grab a case uh, at 2 a.m. We were in the middle of a heated series, so I was debating if my budget had enough room to grab another case. I mean, it was literally right next door to me. And from time to time, I even got the bar owner to run a case over and pay him the next day. But uh, my face and my arms were burning from the cold. And I was drunk enough to think I could stomach it with a t-shirt on. When I hear like a, a stage whisper, help, help. Obi, having far more black fur then, started to bark and growl. And I hear it again. Help! You're living in a small town, you don't necessarily have your guard up. But I've been around enough to have my paranoid second nature kick right back in. I remember opening the front door and forcing a pause on the current game, which was bad form, and making Jack and Ben come up to the front door to listen. These boys were from Oshawa, so their thoughts went to the exact same spot mine did. We're being baited to go out so that someone can beat us up. Forgetting we're in the friendliest place on Earth, with a population under a thousand, we go out ready to rumble. We were all half-cut, and although I've played contact sports, I've never been in a fight in my life. Instead of a fight, we find Orville. He was on the ground hanging onto a fire hydrant for dear life. It was like he was in an ocean of snow and it was his life preserver. He was walking home from the Legion because he had been drinking and needed to get something to eat, but couldn't afford to buy anything at the bar. This man was kind and funny. He was a veteran. A part of a tank crew during World War II. Ben and Jack picked him up and carried him into the bar to warm up. While an ambulance was called. It was a terrible night, and one of the last parts of my youthful joy was etched away as he begged everyone not to call. He couldn't afford to pay the transport fees, even though his hands were severely frostbitten. He knew what kind of an impact a $200 bill would be. Also, Jack threw out his back for like a month from carrying him half a block. I love you, buddy. I wonder, was Obi reacting to Orville or the black dog that night?